0: Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, WindShape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org, that's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E, marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. My guest today is Jennifer Rausch. She has walked through incredibly difficult circumstances, and she's going to share her story and how the Lord remained close to her and gently healed her through her painful process of discovering her husband's secret sexual addiction. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I love having a little bit of context for my guests, so will you first just give us a brief overview of where you're from and how you grew up?
1: Sure. I grew up in central Nebraska. My father is a pastor, so I grew up in a Christian home. I have one younger sister, three years younger than me, and so I really had a great upbringing. You know, I grew up with a real childlike faith in God just knowing that Jesus loved me that he died on the cross not only, you know, to forgive me of my sins but also, you know, he rose again so that I could be with him in eternity and have a relationship with him now here on earth. So, I had a great
0: upbringing. And I remember hearing your marriage testimony probably about 15 years ago and it's always stuck with me. Will you share that story with us now? Sure.
1: So I grew up in a Christian home, and when I was in middle school, we moved to a new community. I was the new pastor's kid in town, and so in middle school and high school, you know, I began to to backslide. I began to care so much about what other people thought of me and really looked to them to tell me who I was but it didn't take long because of the foundation that I was raised with to become disillusioned, you know, with what I was seeing around me and and with the things that my friends were doing. And so when I went to college, I actually rededicated my life to Christ. I got involved in campus ministry and really began to grow. I had a boyfriend back home at the time and I began to share with him, you know, what God was doing in my life and how I was growing. And as he listened to me, he made the decision to also pray to receive Jesus. And he would say now that at that time, his motivation might have been a little bit mixed. He also didn't want to lose me. He has said, you know, I don't know if I was really pursuing God or or you, but I took that as my green light to move ahead with the relationship. And so we actually got married at the ripe old age of 19, feeling so grown up. But as I look back, I mean, we were so young <laughs> and we moved to a new city and began to get plugged in. We we joined a great church. I was really hungry to continue to grow in my faith every once in a while, I would notice some sort of what seemed like a dark internal struggle going on with him. And, you know, I would ask him about it, ask him if he was okay. And and he would just say something like, oh yeah, I was, you know, stressed out at work or yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fine. And, and so I wanted to believe that he was okay. And so I did. And after about two years of marriage, the Lord began to reveal what was going on. One day I went to get the mail and was just looking through, you know, our mail. And, and I noticed this bill from a real sort of generic looking company. And so I thought, oh, I'll have to ask my husband what this is and I continued, you know, to sort mail. And, and then I heard the voice of the Lord say, no, no, open it up. And so I went back to that envelope and I opened it up and I still didn't know what it was because it was still real generic. And so I thought, okay, I'll ask him about it when he gets home. And I heard the voice of the Lord again, say, no, call the company. You need to know what this is. And so I went into our apartment, I called the company and I was devastated to find out that it was, it was an adult phone line or a phone sex company. And I confronted my husband when he got home, um, you know, at first he wanted to deny it, but then admitted, you know, that he'd been struggling with pornography and struggling with making these phone calls. And I was mortified. I didn't understand. I I didn't understand, you know, why would you want something like that when you have me? You know, we were still, we've been married two years. Um, We were still kind of newlyweds. I didn't understand, but came to understand that this hadn't been just, you know, an occasional thing. This hadn't been, you know, something that, that went on a few times, but that this was an addiction. You know, this was in the 90s, and and the internet was still fairly new, and, and this was something that wasn't talked about as much as it is now, but this was an addiction that had deep roots, that had gone actually, I eventually found out beyond magazines, beyond phone calls, but I was soon to find out that it had actually moved into infidelity. And I didn't understand, but came to understand later that it really didn't have a lot to do with me, but that there was a void in his life that he was trying to fill um, with all of this stuff. That And it was really a void that only God could fill. I was devastated. I wanted to wish it away. I wanted a quick fix. I wanted... Um, to slap a Band-Aid on it and move forward. <laughs> I thought maybe, you know, let's just get in the Bible, let's talk to so-and-so, but you can't slap a band on something, on a wound that is rotting from the inside out. And so we moved forward. Um, we went for a while, you know, t- trying to reach out, for different forms of help and and things would seem to be okay for a while but then you know this being exposed was really god's pursuit of my husband you know the lord loves us so much i think he'll give us windows of time where if there is something going on in with us that we're keeping in the darkness i believe that he will give us a period of time To bring it into the light Um, but then if we don't in his great love for us he will allow it to be exposed and so this happened over and over where we would be going along thinking things were getting better but my husband was still not being honest and so God in his love for me and in his pursuit of my husband would allow it to be exposed and we were separated different times throughout our marriage I was mortified to find out that at one point he had been ticketed for solicitation of prostitution and in the community where we lived they actually published this in the paper. And so any any sort of mask that I wanted to wear around people or any sort of, you know, impression that I wanted to give that <laughs> we had our acts together was was kind of taken away. And, and it was so beautiful because God really used that to deal with me in the areas of pride and humility in areas where I also wanted to keep things under, you know, in darkness and under the rug and not be transparent with people. I became so desperate during this period of time in my life that I just, I began to cry out to God. I began to say, God, my entire life, people have told me that you're enough, that you're all that I need. And God, I know that in my head, God, I kind of know it in my heart, but God, I need to know from the very depths of my being that you are who you say you are that you are enough and so as hard as this season in my life was it was beautiful because you know God says draw near to me and I will draw near to you and I began to learn intimacy with him I began to learn what that really looked like and I began to know him in a deeper way yeah, as I said, as hard as it was, there was a lot of beauty in that time as well, because he is so beautiful in a season of our life where we thought that things were you know, I thought I guess that things were going better, and that maybe this issue was behind us. We found out we were pregnant, and we had our first daughter, McKenna, who's so beautiful. I remember at night getting up in the middle of the night and rocking her. And and I really didn't know lullabies, but I, I would sing songs that I knew. So I, I would sing, you know, you are so beautiful to me. You are so beautiful to me. You're everything I hoped for. And I remember one night being up in her room, just rocking her and then just hearing the Lord sing over me. Jennifer, you're so beautiful to me. You know, so he 's so good in the middle of our painful circumstances and and we went on for years and years um, really me kind of you know i i didn 't believe in divorce i I knew that that was not god 's ultimate plan for marriage, and so I went for years just praying and hoping and believing and going through periods of time where I would think, okay, this is getting better. And, and they might seem to be for a while, but then God, you know, would continue to bring things into the light in my husband's life when he wasn't being transparent. And it finally got to the point where I saw somebody who is deeply loved by God with the destiny in God that, that I agree with, um, so buy into the lies of the enemy and therefore stay in bondage to them that it cost us our marriage. I finally realized, you know, our home has to be safe and healthy and, and he wasn't being transparent. And I've got children and so we separated and our marriage eventually ended in divorce And it wasn't what I had hoped for. It wasn't what I dreamed of, you know, on my wedding day, but it happened. And I walked my children through the pain of that and then began to live as a single mom for a period of time.
0: Thank you for sharing so transparently what happened. I'm wondering if someone is in the midst of this right now and it's just... So helpful to hear your story shared with them. And I do have a few follow-up questions when we go back. How long was it before either you or your husband said this out loud to another person? Was it when it was published in the newspaper? Um, The initial struggles, you know,
1: before that happened, it was actually pretty quick with a few people. We did talk to our pastor right away. We did see a counselor pretty early on. And I would say I didn't fully understand the fullness of what was happening when we began to talk about it. It was probably initially more me just wanting you know, this to go away and wanting it fixed. But we did have people in our life that we did talk to fairly early on. And then obviously when it was made public, everybody knew at that point.
0: And as you were seeking counsel from others, who was the first one to be able to identify and share, this is an addiction? I think it was
1: our first counselor. I think he had a deeper understanding of what was going on pretty quickly because of his line of work, but I didn't. It was hard for me to believe that my husband was an addict, you know, because pornography It is like a drug addiction, but the signs are different. They don't have marks on their arms or they don't pass out or, you know, things that are real obvious. It's a little more insidious than that. And so it took me a while to get my mind around it.
0: And what were a few of those signs that God really used to bring some of this into the light? Well, I, after
1: walking through this for a while, I could begin to identify, you know, when, when something was going on, I would say, first of all, lack of intimacy between the two of us. When he would begin to push me away, lack of concentration. I think he had a hard time focusing when he was really using a lot. Those were some telltale signs, um, money issues because, a lot of this does cost money, and so when suddenly money was missing, that was also a sign.
0: I think that's really helpful and as painful as it is to r- recall, mm-hmm. I think that's really practical for someone who's having these same questions, and I just appreciate how you were so in tune walking with the Holy Spirit that you knew when God was nudging you to just go a little bit further, ask another question. Yes. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, Winshape Marriage, with you. Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at WinShape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. How did you process through your own journey of bitterness and eventually forgiveness?
1: There were so many different things that God used as I grew in intimacy with God He began to deal with things in my life as well, right? When we look to him, we become like him and things that aren't like him have to go. And so first of all, God really began to deal with control issues in my life. He began to show me how much I wanted control of things. And really, I was in a situation that was out of my control. And so he began to deal with my heart and teach me just to trust him. He began to deal with the issue of forgiveness. You know, I knew that he called us to forgive. I knew that if I held on to unforgiveness, that it would only hurt me. But man, I wrestled with that. I wrestled with it. I remember my husband in a season where he seemed to be doing better. He was a musician. And so he, he was with a worship team from our church. And And one night they had gone into a prison to do some ministry and and he was playing drums and and while he was there two prostitutes that he had known apparently were were incarcerated and he came home and and told me about it and i it was tough it was tough um because the lord began to show me how you know not only was i dealing with unforgiveness for my husband but that I hadn't even really considered the other side of the story, and was I willing to forgive these women while they were there ministering? Um, I was told that they had actually accepted the Lord, and I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> I was thinking in my mind, I don't want to go to heaven with them,
0: <laughs> you know
1: and um and one night, um a couple weeks after that. We were downtown. We had some other friends who, who were having a service in an inner city church, and the Lord was continuing to deal with my heart regarding these women. And and so finally, I I was just praying, and I said, God, I know that you've called me to forgive. I know that you died on the cross for all of us. But God, these women slept with my husband. And I heard the Lord in his very... <laughs> non-condemning way um say back to me and Jennifer your sins killed my son and it wasn't condemning he was just reminding me of the love and the mercy that i had received You know, you always hear people say that if you were the only person in the world that Christ would have died for you. But something else that we need to consider is that if you were the only person in the world, he still would have had to die. And so that was sort of the beginning. I think of him healing my heart and growing me in forgiveness. He also began to deal with my pride and I had a friend one time say, Jennifer, your marriage reminds me of Hosea and Gomer. And you know how Hosea was the faithful spouse and Gomer was the prostitute that kept cheating and coming back and cheating and coming back. And and I remember kind of thinking, yeah, like I see what you're saying. (laughs) Until one day the Lord told me, he said, Jennifer, you're not Hosea. I'm Hosea. I'm the faithful one right? You are also unfaithful to me. You've also been unfaithful. And so so that's kind of how the Lord stepped me through a lot of those things. You know, it really comes out of that intimate relationship with him and just knowing him and knowing his heart. And then in the process, I'm allowing him to strip away the things that would, that would hold us captive. My pastor would always say that don't let sin against you cause sin in you. And I think that's really key.
0: Wow. The magnitude of all of that is so powerful, just especially what the Lord said about what all of us have done to his son. But your intimacy with the Lord, I'm hearing this obedience and that you're sensitive to him and you're learning from your pastor. What else did intimacy with the Lord look like? Were there certain spiritual practices that you had in place?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Really, yes, I would spend time in his word. That's key, obviously, to grow in our understanding and our knowledge of who he is. I would spend a lot of time in prayer as well, just getting in his presence Praying, listening for his voice, um, I 'd spend time in worship, and even just on my own, just playing songs that that spoke to my heart, and then also um, being connected to the body of Christ is incredibly um, important because we refine one another because God uses other people oftentimes to reflect his heart, so all of those things are important. I would say more than anything, it was getting alone with him and opening myself up and just letting him have access to any place he wanted to go.
0: It just makes me think of the song we so often sing at church, just I surrender all. And it sounds like you got before him in solitude and surrendered everything and he's worked in miraculous ways. But this has been a long journey. And an added layer to this story is having young daughters, like you mentioned. Right. And so as this process went on, how did you share with your then seven and 10-year-old daughters about your husband's sex addiction? And what was their response?
1: Mm -hmm. I was very aware, I think, and protective of their hearts. And because I knew of my own struggles with unforgiveness and control and pride and bitterness and all of that, I really prayed and, and just sought wisdom on how to walk them through something so difficult. So, first and foremost, when I told them that we were getting a divorce, It's hard at seven and 10 to, first of all, talk about the issues at hand, to talk about pornography. I mean, they were pretty innocent, but the first thing that I did was I told them in the presence of their children's pastor who they loved and my parents, I thought it was really important for them to feel surrounded by people that loved them. So it wasn't just mom saying this and, and maybe dad saying something else, but they had a community around them. They had godly loving men who were coming alongside them. And and so what we initially told them, because they really didn't understand sex or, you know, that sort of thing at those ages was that there are promises that you make when you get married. And our pastor talked to them about how, you know, dad Loves you and God loves him. He didn't keep those promises, and and that was the best way that we could explain it initially. As the girls got a little older, God began to just show me, you know, when the appropriate time was to give them more information, and and it wasn't too long after that. My oldest was um, in middle school, and I could just begin to tell that the weight of not knowing more was, was getting a lot for her. And, and you really have to be careful because kids in their own minds can begin to imagine things that aren't true or, you know, and, um, and even blame themselves. So one day I just, I came home from work early when I really felt like, okay, we've, we've got to talk in more depth now. And, She walked home from school, came in the house and I said, honey, um, I need to talk to you more about what happened, you know, between your dad and I. And, and it was hard. She knew that it would be difficult, but we went in her room and, and I didn't quite know how to start. I said, do you know what pornography is? And she said, no. And I breathed a sigh of relief (laughs) and, then I said, well, I said, do you know what sex is? And she's like, well, kind of, you know, like <laughs> we've t- talked a little bit about it and they talked about it a little bit at school. And so I said, okay. I said, pornography are images. It can be on the computer, magazines, different places. They're images that are really, really immodest and inappropriate. And, um, we talked about how people can become addicted to that, like a drug. And she, all of a sudden she looked at me and she goes, mom, you mean like in the movie fireproof? (laughs) And I thought I had to think back to that movie. I thought, oh yeah, like in the movie fireproof. (laughs) And so I was glad she had a point of reference. And then we did talk a little bit about the infidelity as well, just I I couched it in, in love, in trying to express God's heart for her dad. But I also felt like it was important for her in those young teenage years to really understand that you don't get divorced over, you know, something minor or not that any of that was minor, but that marriage is so valuable and so worth fighting for. And so I didn't want to minimize anything either. And so we just, we talked about it. And at first, you know, she wanted to comfort me, which I was, you know, I had already been through quite a bit of healing and (laughs) it was real sweet. But then she started to cry and she said, mom, I just feel like a bunch of change just came off of me and I was so thankful that she said that because it's, vulner- like, it's vulnerable to talk to your kids about these things. And you can think as a parent, is this the right time? Am I saying this the right way? But I think her not knowing was holding her in more bondage and, and she needed to know the truth. And so it was a really precious time.
0: Wow. Looking back then, what parenting decisions would you say you're grateful you made? I would
1: say just being real conscientious about pursuing the girl's heart just like God pursues our hearts and and so just really checking in with them um not wanting to sweep anything under the rug processing with them forgiveness taking them through you know prayers of forgiveness and all of that I think continuing to stay real connected to the body of Christ and providing opportunity for godly men to be in their life and just speaking so much about how, you know, men are, are a blessing. I really didn't want any like bitter roots springing up, you know, and I think also talking to them about, you've been through some things with your dad, but you have a good father. You have a good, perfect heavenly father, and he is here for you to meet your needs, and this was not his heart for you to walk through this, but he works all things for good, and so he's going to use this in your life. You're going to have so many other kids that go through the pain of divorce, and you're going to be able to come alongside them in understanding. You're going to be able um, to encourage them because it's a path that you've walked in. And I think it was really important for them to understand like how God can take our painful things and use them for good in our life. And it was really cool because I don't know, a year or two after our divorce, there was a family in our church and with six kids and unfortunately their parents were walking through divorce. And so the kids were up in Sunday school and our children's pastor that day, um, they were, you know, praying for these kids, and he had my daughter um, come up and pray for them, and and I just loved that because it was just a tangible, you know, example of what we had been talking about. And so it's hard. I mean, there's no way around it. It's hard to walk your kids through something like this, but I think you just keep pointing them to God and and get a good community around them, and and that's the best that you can do.
0: Thanks to our friend Joy, TheSavvySauce.com has been completely updated. And if you follow The Savvy Sauce on social media, you're already aware that we launched a new tab on January 1st titled, Articles. I hope you check out these new Savvy Snacks, which are articles full of quick tips for intentional living. Check out these articles today or join our email list to have them directly delivered to your inbox. Enjoy! Jennifer, it sounds like community is so important to you and wisely so that you also instill that in your daughters. So as you reflect on your healing process, what was the most helpful and most harmful thing from your community during that time?
1: Um, I think the most helpful thing was just having friends around me that would encourage me that would pray with me that would remind me you know of who i am in christ regardless of what um was going on around me friends that would just show up you know i think the hardest thing you know sometimes you might know somebody going through something really difficult maybe like what i went through and and it can feel awkward. It can feel like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what they need. And so sometimes we can find ourselves wanting maybe to distance ourselves a little bit, not because we don't care, but just because we're not sure what to do or what to say. But when I experienced that, it it just, it could feel really isolating and, and really discouraging, you know? And so I think the the best thing that you can do, even if you don't know exactly what to do or say, is just to be there, just to say, Hey, I'm praying for you. Um, I, I'm so thankful for the friends that would just have us over for dinner you know, me, a single mom, um, with two little kids, but they would still just bring us into their home and, and allow my girls, you know, to be, to be part of that. And, and so that was just wonderful. So I think just, um, staying connected. I, I remember when, when our divorce was final, I had a friend hear about it and she didn't really know what to say, but she just marched straight over to my house, walked through the back kitchen door and just into my kitchen and just hugged me. And it's just powerful. So yeah, sometimes when I talk about those things, I, I feel the emotions you know of that of that time. So that's what I would say is just just be there, just show up, just give a word of encouragement and don't worry, you know if you don't know the perfect thing to say or do. just just be there.
0: And as you're sharing, I'm experiencing some emotion as well. And I think what it is, stories like your friend coming in, that was an act that was prompted in love. And I think that's always so compelling because it does reflect Christ's love for us. Do you have any encouragement that you would like to share with a spouse who is currently married to someone who is in the midst of dealing with a sexual addiction?
1: Yes. Um, The first thing that I want to say is I just want to speak hope to them. First and foremost, your hope is in Christ and he has good plans for your life, you know, regardless of the current situation around you. But part of me being on this journey is that I have so many relationships with different couples that have also been through this struggle And I've seen so many come out on the other side, healed and whole. So just know that God is for you, that he is for your spouse. You know, I always say that in Christ, there is so much hope and there is so much freedom to choose. But I just, I want to tell you that just because you're in this battle, it doesn't mean that your marriage is going to end in divorce. You just keep turning to him, keep trusting him. And um, and He is good, and His goodness will be made manifest in your life.
0: Um, That is a good word. Now, will you catch us up on the current pages of your story? Sure, yes.
1: So I was a single mom for about five years. And in the summer of 2013, I met my now husband, Troy. And he was living about an hour north of us. And we met, um, he had been through, honestly, some similar pain in his previous marriage that I had been through. And so um, we connected and we got married in May of 2014. And he's a godly man, it took me a while, you know, it took me some years of healing. And then even coming to the realization that, yeah, I would, I would like to probably be married again. (laughs) And, um, he has two girls. So we both came to the marriage with two girls and, um, have walked through some of the challenges of blended families, but I'll tell you, he is such a, loving stepdad to, to my two daughters and they love him. It's been incredibly, um, healing for our family. And so we've just really been in a season of God making things new. And in 2012, I began to work in the pro-life world. Um, I'm a nurse. That is what I have my degree in. And so I, w- I actually got a job managing a network of of pro-life clinics. And it was amazing because every day I was seeing girls with an unplanned pregnancy or patients that were coming in who needed testing for STDs. And it was a place where not only could I give them the medical treatment that they needed, but also have opportunity to share my faith and to share the gospel and And so I just, it's amazing how God works because for so long, you know, that whole area of sexuality um, was just so broken in my life. There was so much sexual brokenness, but as God healed me, you know, um, the Bible says he has taken captivity captive. And so those things that the enemy wants to use to hold us captive the Lord actually comes in when we allow him to into our lives and takes those things and actually uses them for his kingdom. So here I was, this person who had walked through all of this sexual brokenness. And now every single day I was sitting with these young adults who were walking through sexual brokenness and the Lord was allowing me to minister to them. And so That was an amazing season, and now he's kind of taken it to the next place. And so currently I am the executive director of the Spira Institute, and um, we are an organization that trains clinics and centers like the one I worked in around the country and even internationally to just multiply this work. And so God's just so good. I mean, he works all things for good in our lives.
0: Amen to that. I just love hearing how God is bringing your story full circle, even in the work that you're doing today. So thank you for sharing. Yes. Well, Jennifer, you may already know that we're called the savvy sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so, as my final question for you today, what is your savvy sauce? I would just say,
1: pursue knowing God. There, that is an eternal pursuit. Um, there is always more to know. I mean, we will spend eternity with God, I think, just continuing to reveal um, new aspects of who He is to us. And so as we know Him, we also then come to know who we are, right? Once we know f- who he is, we're better able to see who he made us to be and better able then to look at others through his lens and and walk in who he called us to be and fulfill the purpose in our life. And so um that is really that's kind of the the drumbeat I guess of my life is just to go deeper in knowing my father.
0: And in that pursuit of knowing your Father, it is so apparent how you're becoming more like Christ, and I just experience Christ through you. And it reminds me this morning I was reading in Philippians 4, and specifically in verse 5, when it says, let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Amplified Version says that gentle spirit is your graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance, and patience. And I definitely experienced all of those through you today. And so not only does it say, let your gentle spirit be known to all people, but the verse concludes with this, the Lord is near. So Jennifer, thank you for living that out. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us and being my guest today. It was an honor to host you.
1: Thank you. Yes, it was an honor to be your guest, and I really enjoyed it.
0: One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from Him. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us.